Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, 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 you guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Today's episode is one that is near and dear to my heart because it takes us back home to Alabama. Now, if you don't know, Alabama is not my childhood home. That would be Mississippi. But Alabama is where I actually did the most growing and I, I like found myself. It's where I did grad school. Um, I got my master's in human development and family studies at the University of Alabama. And that is really where I found who I was as a person. And so Alabama holds such a special place in my heart. Um, and, you know, the the education I got there, the experience I got there, the people that I met there, they did change my life. And I do use those experiences and that knowledge every single day. Um, And so Alabama holds a, a really special place in my heart. Now, if you don't know, I'm a big supporter of the Birth Sanctuary, which is Alabama's first black owned and also independent birth center. Uh, Independent meaning it's not going to be connected or under the um, under the guidance of a hospital. It's going to be led by midwives um, by Dr. Stephanie Mitchell. Um, I'm a big fan of them and, and they are one of our organizations that we have chosen to support through 2021 um, financially. Each year we, we choose organizations to give you know, financial support too throughout the year. And the birth sanctuary is one of those because it is doing such a great job of, of supporting birth choices in Alabama. So without this birth center, you're forced to have uh, your baby in the hospital if you're going to do it within the system. Of course, Alabama just legalized home birth, so um, you know that is not a lot of people are going to agree to to do a home birth. Um, I think a lot of people question probably the safety of that in Alabama, and I think those questions are valid. You should look into that. Um, you should look into all of your options. But this birth center that Dr. Stephanie Mitchell is is doing is just really 
changing the whole game. And so today, I don't have on Dr. Stephanie Mitchell, but I do have on another doula who is in Alabama who can talk to the landscape of birth down there in Alabama. And we're really going to talk about how she navigates not only the hospital system, but the social and southern pieces of this as well. I'm super excited to introduce you guys to Tracy Weaver, who is a highly experienced doula specializing in BBAC, high-risk pregnancy and birth scenarios. Now, Tracy is an expert in communication and respectful, informed consent and teamwork. She created the Keeping Your Power concept to help birthing families and others focus on the importance of foundational belief system, communication skills, and solidifying a birthing family's self-advocacy skills to receive family-centered care. She and I are going to dive into how to identify coercive care in pregnancy and birth, and then Tracy's going to step us through how to navigate the medical system, how to ensure you are getting consensual care that is supportive of your birth goals. I'm so excited to have her on the show. So without any further hesitation, Tracy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Hey, guys. Good to be Tracy, here. You have no idea how excited I am for this conversation. So listeners, if you're not familiar with um, with Miss Tracy here, she is uh, she is one of my soul sisters. She really is. And I have to be honest, when I moved up to Boston, I uh, had never heard of a doula. I only knew about pregnancy through friends who had gotten pregnant. And um, those didn't have the greatest story behind them because they were teen pregnancies. They were accidental pregnancies. And I did not know the entire world of birth work. And so I moved up to Boston and I became a doula and I was like, oh my God, there is whoa, there's a lot of stuff to like birth work. And there's a lot of really kind of bad things that are happening in the birth world. And then I found Tracy and I was like, oh my God, there are people like me down South. There are doulas down South. And then the more I started to follow Tracy, I was like, wow, she and I are truly cut from the same cloth. I think through this conversation today, you guys, you are going to, or at least I hope you walk away with a sense of, confidence and I hope you walk away with a new sense of how you look at the medical system. Now to set the stage, Tracy and I both very, very highly respect the medical field and we understand that doctors are certainly there to help us and they are very much needed on your team if you choose that that route, right? However, being a doctor, or being a medical professional does not always make you right. And one of the things that, that Tracy and I share so deeply is that shared decision-making is not negotiable. It is literally a must. You cannot practice on someone without getting their consent or without sharing your ideas with them on what you're going to do with their body. You have to tell your patients what you're doing, why you're doing it, make sure that that's okay with them, have this discussion. And unfortunately, so many times across our nation, and, and we see the stats show that it's really bad in the South, it's like really bad in the South. We don't get shared decision-making. We don't get consensual care. We don't get even evidence-based medicine. So Tracy, can you just start us out with maybe lay in the land on what does it actually look like to be a doula in Alabama? Because it looks different to be a doula all over our nation. And I know that, you know, 
as much as I talk about how hard it is to be a doula in Boston, I know I'm super blessed because I'm in a really great place to be a doula. What does it look like in Alabama to be a doula? Because it looks really different than what I have. Yes, it's um, well, well, let me let me kind of foundationally say where, where I started, because I have been doing this for about 22 years. So in, in the very beginning, um, it was difficult because I was still defining what a doula was. What, what our job was. I would show up with a family and people just, you know, the nurses really didn't know my job, didn't know where I was coming from. And I know people still, doulas still have that, that problem today, but the word doula is more recognized today. So back then it was still blazing a trail of the definition and what the job really was. Um, and, you know, yes, that traditional care, that routine care that we, you know, sometimes still always see, you know, not uh, having conversation of why something is happening to a birthing person, but this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing is every, you know, can I do anything for you? Are you comfortable, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where's your pain? Um, and then, and then they leave the room. So, you know, yes, very, very difficult in the in the traditional, you know, part of of where medical care and maternity care is and just seeing um, just a lot of non evidence based practices that that I didn't even know were not evidence based because, you know, as doulas, we come in and we learn on the job and by experience and you know, we're like, wow, you know, it, what, what is that? And, and why is that happening? And then we learn more and then we're frustrated because we are the ones that kind of know that there's evidence-based information out there. And why isn't it being translated to our, to our clients? So as I got more experience and understood the role that I had and the responsibility that I had as a doula, because I was seeing that I had the relationship with the birthing person, that I had this, this closeness and this understanding of their need um, more than them going to their care provider and asking the medical questions and getting the medical advice that they needed. So in that responsibility, I was like, wow, you know, I should be speaking to nurses, I should be talking to team members. So in my head, I was forming what my philosophy around my doula role was. And that was to team build by communication and to be very open with what my perspective was. But, but in that, I had a responsibility to understand the perspective of nurses and care providers and everybody else that was on the team. It wasn't just me trying to trailblaze that definition of dual work, but it was getting down to the bottom of where everybody was coming from on the team. And then having some really great, great conversations with awesome empowerment to the birthing person because their needs were being met better. And some hard conversations, right? So I, I have to be honest, some of the best conversations I've ever had in the birth room made me the sweatiest. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to say this, yeah. but I knew I had to, right? I literally knew that if I did not speak up, 
and exert my power of just being able to pause the room. I'm not trying to get that doctor to change their mind. I'm not trying to get that nurse to not do what she's doing. I'm not trying to get that birthing person to choose something different. I am trying to pause the room to say, hey, wait one second, wait one second. Are we all on the same page here? Do we all know what's going on here? Do we all, are we all in agreement? Are you consenting yes to this? Is everyone on the same page? That's really scary as a doula. It's really scary. So being from the South, right, we're taught, especially as women from the South, we're taught not to speak up. We're taught to be very soft-spoken. We're taught to not be outspoken. We're taught to just kind of fly under the radar and be this good little girl, right? And so me going into this room with people who I consider much more educated than I, it can feel so scary to speak up. But then at the end of the day, I have to remind myself that just because the letters behind our names are different doesn't actually mean their credentials are better than mine and mine are worse than theirs. They're just different. But if you look at the puzzle, all of our credentials are needed. Well, and, and I think, you know, there, foundationally what we think about our, our roles comes from different places. Yeah, in, in our experience, definitely as, you know, culturally Southerners, we, we um, you know, you're seen and you're not heard. And, you know, especially, you know, women, you're, you're not supposed to say anything. And, you know, if, if you're on this team, then you are looked at as the lowest person you know, on the totem pole. And I, and I call that in one of my workshops, I call that the totem pole myth. That's an illusion that, you know, we have been, uh, you know, hurt. We just feel that way because, you know, yeah, I, I didn't go to college. Like one of the very first comments that I got from a nurse was, how do you get to do this? Because you didn't go to college. And I don't think that she was coming from a snarky place either. She was curious. She was like, so it, you know, sometimes those thoughts are, are not, um, those oppressive thoughts are not necessarily coming from a bad place in the system. It's just that definition of, we're just trying to figure out what y'all do, <laughs> you know? And that's why communication is so important, you know, on that level. So, you know, the, the identity of our work um, comes from different places, our experience and how we grew up and, and how we approach our own doula work. But then it also comes from dualism. You know, we we ourselves have this thing that we do when we blanket statements what doulas do. And I think we have to be careful of that too. We can't say that the only thing that we can say that all doulas do is we don't do anything medical. Everything else is very individual per doula. Like my my the way that, that I practice and the way that I serve my clients is not going to be the, the way that you serve your clients or, or any other doula that's on, on. That's why we are, that's why we serve because we match up with people differently because of different things. So especially in communication and advocacy, which seems to be a dirty word in doula-dom nowadays, um, you know, that's, that's where this all comes from. We build teams through advocacy because of communication and how we need to bring the team together. And we can't, we can't build the team without communication, without advocating. And I, and I think that 
advocacy comes with this, you know, this feeling of confrontation or there's a chip on my shoulder or I'm going in only to get what my birthing person needs and, and that's not the case. And one of my major lines, one of my biggest lines is um, advocacy does not equal animosity. You know, advocacy just means that I am 100% trying to produce a non-traumatized birther to make them safe and heard and supported through their birth. And that's my goal, you know, so, you know, people pleasing and good girl kind of, you know, doesn't um, always feel good when, you know, when we're in those places. And this wasn't, and I'm interviewed a lot. <laughs> and this is, I say this with everyone. I'm not, this wasn't hard for, this wasn't easy for me. It's hard for everyone to have to communicate with people who might not want to communicate. And that does take skill and it takes time and it takes energy and, and, it, and it's really difficult to do and you have to work on yourself to do that. And can we do that? Yes, we can. Um, do I want doulas to change themselves to be able to, to do this? Not in a sense of, you know, I, I, I think that you're wrong in the person that you are. No, no, no. I think we all are special in our talents and skills and doula work. We are called to do this. So I want um, doulas to be able to take what they have and own it and develop it through the skills, continuing education and talents to, to serve their communities the way that they need to productively. Yeah, so you hit you hit a, a chord in me right then when you were talking about, you know, advocacy doesn't mean animosity. And for, I think for so many providers, they actually come to the table kind of being like, no, no doulas, no doulas, like, you know, anti-doula here. And for me, all I can see is a wounded provider. All I can see is somebody who has worked with a really bad doula in the past and they've been burned. And it feels to me like I almost need to prove to them that we're not all the same. So can we talk about, not from a doula perspective, because most of our listeners are going to be birthing people, but how can you navigate this as a female? And, and, you know, it's not just people in the South that were taught to be um, seen and not heard. So any female birther out there, female identifying birther who feels maybe they're not worthy to speak up, or maybe this is how they were taught that you don't question doctors, or they are getting care that doesn't feel aligned, but they just can't find the confidence to speak up. Help us. What do you yes. do? What do you tell people to do? Yes. So it's funny you asked. Um, I, I actually developed a concept called keeping your power. So because what, what I was seeing with birthing families is they were confused coming out of appointments. They knew what they wanted or, and they knew who they were. And some of them didn't know where to start either that we just don't know what we don't know. But wow, how can I go and have, an, have a conversation um, about something I don't know anything about to somebody that's very, um, you know, and we're not even talking about abuse or coerciveness yet. We're just talking about 
a field of medicine that, you know, if we don't know anything about it, we just, what I call, fall into the system. And hopefully, they're just going to tell me how I need to do this. And, and we don't know where to begin. So in my concept or in my Keeping Your Power program, um, my courses online, I walk families through, um, you know, different things to think about in their own experiences and lives and recognize your power. Your power is your worth and your belief system and what you're thinking around birth. And in that, you, you develop what you need to know from your care provider for the extra information, the education that you need to make informed decisions. Well, it sounds really easy, Tracy. <laughs> it sounds really easy. And then we go in and we sit down and we, you know, we get triggered or, or we shut down or we fawn from, you know, from um, past trauma. So we have some trauma responses. And then you have people telling you just just go to a doctor that fits really well with you. And what does that even mean? So I start with the worth of a family. And, you know, in, in the VBAC book that was just, uh, you know, just came out um, that I'm a co-author of, that's exactly where, where I started in that chapter is we all come from specific places in our lives, but we all matter, no matter how you're coming to your birth, you matter. And if you can find that piece of you that, that you have maybe forgotten, and you're like, Ms. Tracy, I'm, I'm not an insecure person. I know who I am. I have A, B, and C. But then we get a positive pregnancy test and we absolutely lose our minds. Absolutely lose our minds. And we're like, I mean, you can have a PhD, you can have all kind of letters behind your name, you can be a labor and delivery nurse, you can be, you know, a stay at home mom, you can be doing all kind of really great things. But the moment that we get a positive pregnancy test, we fall into the system. And it, it we just our, our brains melt, and we have no idea where to go from here. And, and where did how did we get here? So I believe throughout history, when birth went from a communal out of hospital activity, and then it morphed into this, we have to go to the hospital to have a baby. There are generations of women that, that don't feel like they can do this uh, outside of the hospital, which is not a wrong thing. That's just how, how you were raised or, or the experiences that you have, especially in Alabama. We don't have options. We don't have birthing centers, although there are some in the works. Yeah. But we, we, we haven't had that option through time. We haven't had midwifery outside of a hospital um, until, well, it weeded out. Now we did have it back in the day and that was weeded out in the in the 70s. I think the last license was given out by the health department in 73. You know, so there there was a time there where you went around town even today, honestly, oh, home birth exists, you can do that. People do that. And it's this, uh, you know, idea of going out into a field and having a baby and, you know, not not understanding, you know, that process. So there's, there's not a, a, a great mindset around that. So, so when you have had that process happen, 
then you have us, you have consumers that when we get pregnant, we default to what we know. And that's the majority of the system, but our decision-making process is gone because somebody has already made the decisions for us. They have taken what we have, have had and rolled it in a ball and have, have told us that you have to go to the hospital or you can't do this without anybody, which has taken away some of our confidence and sometimes all of our confidence. What am I gonna do? I don't really like the person I'm going to. My insurance has told me I have to do this. Um, I can't just switch doctors if I am seeing some red flags. What do I do? You default to what you know, and that is your power because you have every right to have the birth that you want to feel safe, secure, and supported with the information to make informed decisions. So, but you have to communicate. So you have to know your power and then you have to learn to communicate that to the care provider that might be traditional in practice or very strong-willed to get their point across. And, you know, we can talk about coercive language of, I don't, you are only allowed to. Um, and, and let's, you know, let's say that a lot of this isn't through anger. This isn't through, um, this is just a traditional practice in, I'm allowing you to do this. And if you're not assertive or you don't ask questions, then they are just going to take care of you. In Southern culture, that's what we do. Let me just take care of you. I got this, you know, schedule your next appointment instead of having, you know, conversations around this is what your pregnancy is doing. These are the next steps. This is what evidence-based information, how do you feel about that conversations? So I teach families how to have open conversations to get their providers to tell them their skill level and their comfort level and how to get that extra evidence-based information so they can have informed choices or decision-making process. I think a large part of it goes back to the rotten roots of our medicine, right? Like are the roots of our medicine in the U.S are they're rotten they they're yeah. literally like rotten not they're rotten in in the sense where like you know southerners are like oh that's a rotten idea no they're literally rotted right. out roots they are really they're foundational in really bad ideologies and ideations that are actually harmful to women and birthing people but specifically people of color, right? We yes. have actually yeah. rotten roots when it comes to our medicine. And I'm so stuck in a place currently where I'm not sure how to help on a bigger scale other than protecting my little circle of, of right. people of color and mamas of color that I particularly work with one-on-one can we dive into, and we'll circle back to the coercive language and, and all that jazz, but while we're on the subject, can you give us a rundown on the racial disparities in birth and, and how can your average everyday person maybe make a stand against this? One of my favorite things to tell my white people is you have a responsibility as a white person to kind of change the system because black and brown people don't have that same power. They're not listened to. They are sloughed off. They're told that their needs aren't important. They're told that their pain is irrelevant, right? And so as white people, 
even as just one singular white person patient in that, you know, L&D room, you actually have a lot of power. Talk to us about that, Tracy. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, foundationally, you know, yeah, I think that first we have to acknowledge our whiteness in what we're doing, you know, and, and you know, come out from that and, and be, be active and be vocal on recognizing what we don't know and listen to those, you know, that we trust that, you know, are black and brown that are around us. I have amazing, amazing black and brown friends that I listen to um, that, you know, have given me some awesome, awesome insight on, you know, how to, you know, how, how to do what I need to do, you know, in, in my space. Um, I, I think that we need to yeah, you know, focus locally, focus small. I think that one of the mistakes that we make is we as we try to think bigger than we really need to, and that gets overwhelming. So people don't know what to do and they don't do anything. But first, we have to recognize, you know, the statistics of and and I want to get past just posting about statistics or suppose or posting about the deaths or posting about. Um, you know, the, the things that are happening. Let's go to the deeper heart of foundationally what's happening and that's racism. So when we talk about the four times likely to die statistic, that's because of racism. And that's because of, you know, the things that doctors are seeing and their brains are going to a certain place, you know, those kind of, of activities. And, and as doulas, what can we do about that? Well, we can support other black and brown birth workers to do what they need to do, number one, because I can only do so much in my white space. We have to acknowledge that. Like I, I can't and I will never understand and never know what it is like to be black or brown. So when somebody comes to me and wants services from me, that's the first thing that I say is, are you sure that I can meet your need? And if so, yes, let's go forward with that. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, I, I like this, this, and this, but please, do you have information about somebody that looks like me? Yes, there we go. But you have to know where those people are. You have to dig them up. You have to support them. You have to, you know, give to them and be able to lift them up so they can serve their own communities because there are those people who want the services from people that look like them. In Alabama, we have, um, you know, the midwifery was, we have a rich black midwifery culture that was absolutely erased from our history. And we're trying to build that up. So now what um, I did, and I actually put it on my website, I, I was following a few of the black midwifery students, but I wanted all of them in one place. So that's another thing that we can do is we can put, we can put everybody in one place to support them, make sure that their needs are being met through their, through their studies or whatever they're doing. And if you're, you know, if you list doulas or, or, or whoever, but we have to get those people out into their communities so that they can serve the people who need them because I can only do what I can do. But what can we do when we go into the system? We can absolutely, you know, hold people accountable for 
you know, biases or whatever. But before I, before I say that, we have to be careful to go through our own checklist of biases and where we're coming from in our work period. And people that know me and have gone through my workshops know I have a reflection and practice before you do anything. Because you can't hold other people accountable until you hold yourself accountable. So in those spaces, we absolutely can go in and make sure that that provider is, is coming through a clear lens of this is what's going on with this person. Um, you know, and, but that comes with the open conversation and communication process, you know, and not being afraid to address these things so that your client or the, the birthing person is getting, is getting what they need. Did I answer your question? Of course you did. Yeah. Okay. And you know, you, you really kind of reminded me of something that I, I say all the time, white birthers hire doulas so that they can have their dream birth. Black birthers hire doulas so that they can stay alive. And that's some bullshit right there. Yeah. I just got to call it out for what it is. That is yeah. some bullshit right there. Like Absolutely. what, what? That sentence even feels gut-wrenching to say, and it is so much more than a sentence. It's it's reality. That is for real, that black and brown birthing people literally, in some cases, look to the edges of the earth to see if there are any other possibilities that they can birth anywhere outside of our medical system because they are so scared that they're going to die. And not die, they're going to be killed. Yeah. Because our medical system doesn't listen to them. I, right. as a white person, will never understand that. And I, I can't even begin to fathom what that feels like. So for me, yeah, you're right. It just, I, and I've taken your course and, and currently I'm taking um, Sabia Wade's course. And, you know, you both have pushed me to the edges of my own existence to think about who I am as a doula and what are my roles as a doula and what are my own biases and how do those play into me being a doula? And also how does that play into me being a leader of a mm -hmm. team of other doulas that I'm now molding to put out into the world and go out and advocate for more people. So for that big, huge, thank you to, to you and um, to Sabia, but okay, let's talk about, let's circle back to the, the rich black midwifery mm -hmm. culture that we had in Alabama home birth was just illegal in Alabama and it just became legal again a few years ago. Like I had already moved away from Boston. We're talking in the last three to four years, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had been fighting for it for about 14 years. Um, and that's how Alabama is. They want the monopoly. The hospitals absolutely want all of the, um, the money and the control. Um, they absolutely uh, fought us every step of the way um, for 14 years to not recognize certified professional midwives. And it, it was an excruciating process. Now, I wasn't involved that whole 14 years that I was involved at the beginning, took a break and involved kind of confetti through there because I, I am in Montgomery at the Capitol. So I can just go downtown. There were people that would come into town and I'm like, no, nah, I'll, I'll just go. So, you know, so I, I, I joined the forces back um, at the very, you know, a couple of years at the very end. Um, so, and, and here's the thing is 
there are there are rural areas of Alabama that when you get out into into nowhere, you know, people are not getting prenatal care. They have no transportation. You know, it is. And and there's and I and I forget how many counties actually have hospitals that that you know that deliver babies, um, which people are traveling like crazy because because hospitals are, are just don't have uh, um, L and D units, which is crazy. So you know a lot of the you know push to bring midwifery back was not only to give people the option if they wanted the option for home birth, but it was to get care out to these people that couldn't necessarily, you know, go to their appointments and, and all of that. And we have some midwives that travel a lot. You know, there's some midwives that don't, but but it's the it's the pro it's that it's a perception of we haven't had it in so long we haven't had it, why do we need it? And even when we would lobby, we would go to the Capitol and we would talk about home birth and we would talk about how important it was and it would, and how important, you know, that, that black birthers needed something else. It, we would get, you know, not really, we just get blank stares a lot because they just didn't understand. And that was hard. You know, that was hard chiseling away at some of this out of sight, out of mind, uh, stuff was was really difficult. But then even even, you know, the Medical Association, Alabama Department of Public Health and, you know, those people, it, even at that, that, we don't need home birth. We don't we don't. It's unsafe. And, you know, in, in all of that. Um, so it's still a work in progress because you still have that fight. Even when there's legalization, you still have that fight to keep what you have because you still have people that'll bring up, you know, different things that, that want um, something changed, but there is a foundation now, and now we're trying to support those black and brown midwives that, that want to serve, you know, their communities. And we just have to keep backing them and keep pushing them forward and get their names out there. I mean, and, and then, you know, there's, there's Stephanie, um, Dr. Midwife, that is, that is, you know, has has moved here and is you know trying to open the, you know the the first birthing center, and and the first black owned birthing center. I think we did have a birthing center years and years ago in Huntsville um, that closed, uh, and somebody told me due to interest, which I I would say that's not the truth, um, you know. But she's working really really hard too, which is awesome. But there are hurdles and in people every step of the way that don't want this stuff to happen because they want the monopoly to go to the to the system. And it's not just about money, it's about control. It's that good old boy system, right? Yeah. I mean, oh. we've been that good old boy system all throughout medicine because that's how medicine started by white dudes, right? And yeah. um, especially it's it's like especially icky in maternity care for me because I mean, no offense to white dudes, but like, what do you have? What what place do you have in maternity yeah. care? Like not, I, I mean, you play a good role, I guess, but it, it feels forceful to me because we could have done this all without you. You could have, white dudes could have never come into maternity care and we still would have a flourishing maternity care. And 
And for those of you who don't know Dr. Stephanie, she used to be up here in Boston with me and now she's back in Alabama. And so I feel just like I'm actually playing with my midwife necklace right now. And um, if you guys don't know, she's selling necklaces right now to help fund the birth center in Alabama. I just feel particularly connected to that because, you know, pieces of my, my heart is in Boston and, and a large piece of my heart is in Alabama. Um, and you would think too, Tracy, that if we needed home birth anywhere, it would be in the rural places, right? Like if, if we had home birth anywhere, you would think it would be in the most rural parts of our country, yet that's not what we see at all. Now, up here in Boston, our home birth midwifery culture is really alive and flourishing. However, in the last couple years, last three or four years, it's really come under fire and they're trying to strip the credentials of people who that good old boy system that I just talked about, they don't agree with these people's credentials, even right. though these people have been delivering babies for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Right. And now this good old boy system, this white dude system wants to come in and strip these primarily female providers. And who gets of- to do that? Who gets to do that? Right. You know, this is this is the fire that like lights people like us. You know, it's it's like I I don't understand how. So even even in front of a health committee, when I was reading off the whatever I was reading that day, I'm looking around thinking, why am I trying to convince you to allow something that you have no idea about? First of all. And you don't want to know anything about it, you know, and you're just sitting up here making laws <laughs> or talking about, hey, I'll vote for yours if you vote for mine. And you have no idea the depths of the importance of what this option is going to do for birthing people in Alabama. Well, because you're so far removed, right? Like you're sitting up there on your pedestal, literally, literally on a pedestal in your podium and you're making rules and you're so far removed from it. Like, have you even had a child? Are your children grown and now in their forties? You know, like you cannot make current laws on things that you're not utterly educated on. And that is what we're seeing across our country. And yeah. then we see it play out in the nasty stats of birth. And honestly, we're killing people and we're right. traumatizing people and it's not okay. And I, I love our country so much, but we've got some things that are so backwards that it makes me wake up in the morning and go, what the hell is America yeah. doing? Yeah. What well, and, doing? you know, and, and when we talk about, you know, in, in pushing black and, and brown people into the places of representation so that they can speak, the one person who stood up and said, wait a second, you need to listen to them, was a representative that, I don't think she had any, any, any backstory of birth, but she knew the importance because number one, she was black, number two, she was, she was a woman, and she's like, wait a minute, she heard because of that. And, and and it's not just about birth. It's about culturally, they're going to know what needs to be said, what needs to be done. And that's why we need to support those people in, in the loud parts of, you know, legislation or, you know, whatever, whatever table that we're at, 
you know, making spaces and hearing them, hearing, hearing their ideas. We don't know. We don't know what to do. You know, we don't know where to come from. We've got to disrupt what's going on in, in that because, you know, as, as, as on fire as we are for it, there's only so much that we can do. I think you bring up such a good piece about the culture and it has, it has so much to do with like white people just think we know everything about everything and we don't. As a doula, I've been so blessed to be able to go to various birth ceremonies. So I have had Pakistani clients, Indian clients, Chinese clients, um, Israeli clients. All of these cultures have pieces that belong to their culture that need to be in their birth space. And in America, in the white medical industrial complex that we birthed in in America, we don't hold space for those cultural pieces. We don't hold space for individual factors. We don't hold space. It's really just a a one and done. You come in, you be this type of patient, you get this type of birth. And if we mess up, then oops, we messed up. And you know what? Good job. Healthy baby, healthy mama, right? Isn't that what we're all working for? Some kind of bullshit there. Now that is something that will get me on my pedestal. Healthy mama, healthy baby. That is not what we're working for here. That is not what we're working for here. We're not Mm -hmm. working for a healthy mama, healthy baby, because everybody's definition of healthy is way different. Some doctors consider literally an alive mama and a live baby. Their job is done. What? Yes. (laughs) Right. What? Right. Right. Yeah. I just get so blown away by it. I really do. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely about, you know, recognizing where the system is. And, and I know, you know, there's a lot of talk of it's, you know, it's kind of angry talk and it's, I hate, I hate what's going on with no, you know, I can hate something and still want it to change and be positive that we're going to change that. Um, But because we can't just walk away because here, here's the thing is the majority of conditioned birthers or 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 the birth culture that we're in now the majority of people are conditioned or or uh have that medical mind that they need to go into the system which is fine which is fine so what's our responsibility in that you know what is our responsibility in in making not the shattered pieces of the broken system better or taping it or gluing it all for us to ignore it but to identify it and dismantle what is the, the broken pieces, identify it and then work for all of everybody that's on that team to make it better for that, for that birthing person. And can it happen? Absolutely. I mean, the last seven years of my career has been nothing but outstanding outcomes. And, and I'm not talking about outstanding outcomes of vaginal births without epidurals. Let's just go there for just mm-hmm. a second. That's not what we're talking. We're not talking about great outcomes when when we when we're in circles with each other and we're talking about our births. A great outcome doesn't mean that you had a baby come out your vagina and you were unmedicated. That's not what that means. Nope. Great outcomes mean that you were psychologically whole through the process making informed decisions every step of the way 
you weren't abused, you weren't coerced. If you were, then something happened to stand in the way and help it come together for you to walk out whole, psychologically whole. You might have had a cesarean, your birth might went, had gone another route and you had to have an epidural for whatever reason. And the choice to have one is not a bad one, right? We use them as tools in our births. Anything can happen. We know that birth is just this big, uh, you know, Amazon jungle and anything can happen. But to be, to come out psychologically whole in the decision-making process is what needs to happen for an untraumatized birther. That's what we're up against. And if we can be positive in that and, you know, let birthers know and let families know that this, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. I want people to be excited about their births. When you, get a when you get a positive pregnancy test, I want there to be, yes, this is what's going to happen. And I know that this, you know, not all this, oh man, I'm, I'm afraid. And I, I don't know if, if I can do this. And I don't know um, if I'm going to survive. I, 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 those, I hate those, those things. I hate those thoughts. So we're going to take those thoughts and we're going to put them over here and we're going to recognize them and we're going to give somebody a safe space to be in those. But then we are going to work for you to go through the process of being untraumatized at your birth. Totally. And just being aware of those broken, jagged pieces yeah. of the maternity care, right? It's not, I love, love, love that you said our job is not to duct tape or put together or fix the maternity care system through our work. I truly do think that through our work, we will do that. But on an individual level, that is not our job. Our job, my job as your doula is to say, hey, just so you know, up there on the left, there's a broken piece of maternity care. Here's where you're going to find it. Here's how you can protect yourself. And here are the options that you have when you get to that crossroads in this maternity care. So I want to share a quick story here that kind of give all of our listeners a visualization or, or, or kind of an idea of what we're talking about. So Last week, I had a birth that ended in a cesarean. And for six weeks up until this birth, we had this tricky little baby that would go head up and then we would do some spinning babies and baby would be head down and we would try and work so hard to keep baby down and then baby would go transverse. Then they'd be head up, then they'd be head down, then they'd be head up, then they'd be back transverse. And so we had a conversation. Mom really, really, really wanted a vaginal delivery. She wanted more than anything to experience labor. So we had a conversation. I said, listen to me, if your baby cooperates, I think that you have a great chance of having a vaginal delivery. We had finally gotten baby head down. We had kept baby head down for right around two weeks. And I said, I, I really think that you've got a good chance at, at least laboring, but a vaginal delivery if your baby cooperates. We labored at home. Then we went to the hospital and she decided to get an epidural and we labored more and more and more. And that baby never dropped. And she called me and said, he, he, I think my baby's trying to tell me that they're not safe coming out. And 
I can't thank you enough for having that conversation with me before. What should I do? And I said, sister, if you're ready to have a C-section, then we can have a C-section. We've been really trying to get this baby out and we have given them the space. You've now been in labor for about 30 hours. Your cervix is completely open and your baby's not coming down. It feels to me like we set your baby up for complete success, but your baby is telling us right now they know something that we don't know. I think when we get in there, we're going to find that there was something that made it not safe. And don't you know that that baby had that cord wrapped around their neck twice and then around their body. They said that that baby was wearing that cord like a sash. That baby knew, right? And that mom, I just had a postpartum visit with her. She said, I, I don't regret anything. She said, this was obviously not what I planned. But it was such a good experience. And she said, I don't think I could. I would have reacted to a C-section the same way if I had not been prepared that it was possibly something my baby was choosing. She said, I, I'm so happy that we had that discussion before I was in labor because it really set me up to know that I can only do so much and that my baby really does decide a lot of it. And I think that is such a beautiful example of we on the outside can do everything, quote unquote, right. We can do everything to give your baby the experience that we want them to have, right? We want your baby to come out vaginally. We want this. We want that. But we have to remember that your baby has a lot to do with this. And they have their own brain and they are intuitive and they are smart and they know when they are not safe to come out in one way or the other. Yeah. I'm not sure where I heard the um, the term passive birther, and it might have been in keeping your power, your, uh, your course. I'm not sure exactly where I learned it, but can you tell us a little bit on how we can avoid being a passive birther, right? How can we avoid falling victim to just being one of those complacent birthers that kind of goes in and it's run of the mill and you just get put through the system and on the other end of it it's kind of like a Willy Wonka machine you just kind of get whatever you get on the other side <laughs> well you know and if, and if people are okay with that that's fine you know but if you you know if you know that you're missing something you know if you know that you're going to appointments you know the first couple appointments and you're like man, I thought I was going to get a manual mm -hmm. or I, or I thought I was going to get more handholding or I just, I'm feeling a little lost. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I would, you know, I would start by, you know, the, the person that's going to be with you in birth, whether that's your, you know, whether that's a married spouse or a partner or a mom, a sister, whoever, the, the person that is the most closest to you, you know, write down the things that are going to be most important to you in birth. Um, and that can be anything, you know, that can be, I, I just want uh, not to do something because, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our clients come to us and they're like, I know what I don't want because I know what I just went through. Yep. Um, you know, but even if you don't really know uh, what, what are the, what are the important things to you throughout this birth? And, and I don't want to, for us to get stuck on the, even the routine practices that we do the birth plan for and all of that. Let's go outside of the box. What is the most important thing to you? Is it to be heard? Is it to feel safe? Is it to just survive? Is it to not birth on your back? Is it to whatever? 
whatever. Nothing is, nothing is dumb. Everything is important. You are worthy. You are worthy of every thought that you have. And I would start from there. And that conversation is going to grow. Um, it's going to grow throughout your pregnancy reach, and then reach out to a doula, you know, reach out to a independent childbirth educator, take, get more education on, on outside of the system. And this is the reason why is because the system is bound by a license to only be able to tell you certain things. And they just can't, you know, they have a list of what they can say and they absolutely, I'm sure have some kind of unspoken list of what they can't say because they work for the hospital. They have curriculum that they can only use. So they can't uh, go over and beyond that. An independent childbirth educator outside of the system works for themselves and can tell you what you need to know in your journey and in your process of, of planning for uh, the birth that you, that you want and that you need, but also to nurture those core, core beliefs or the core wants and the core needs of what you wanted in your birth process in the beginning. That's going to be nurtured in an out-of-hospital educational process, either with a doula or a childbirth educator. So yeah. I would start there. I love that so much. So I hate on childbirth education um, that's taught in the hospital a lot. And I don't mean, I really don't yeah. mean like hate on them. Right, right, right. But I do because yeah. at the end of the day, they really are just teaching you how to be a complacent patient. And I'm so sorry, but that yeah. that's not going to serve you. That is not going to serve you at all. And so, well, they might be telling you like the logistics of how labor works. Yep. And, 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 and I want to, you know, open, open the minds of your, your listeners and your birthers too, that, that might be listening to this for whatever reason, they might, might not even be pregnant yet. Um, what does this look like when I, when I do try to, to plan for a birth, you know, it's, it's not about, um, you know, it's not about making a birth plan. It's not about, you know, uh, the, the medicalized part of birth. That's where your hospital classes are going to come from. They're going to come from the medical side of how they see birth. Mm -hmm. If that's not how you want your birth to go, you need to go to somebody that is going to help you navigate a physiological spontaneous birth. So the very first thing that I ask people that come to me, because of course I'm a doula, I'm a childbirth educator, I'm a spinning baby parent educator, and I'm a you know, an evidence-based birth instructor, and then I have the keeping of power. So I've got this wide array of people that come to me. I say, what, what type of birth are you looking at? And if they say, I, I, I'm looking at it this way, um, I might want an epidural. Like my epidural commitment is so-and-so. And so if their brain is geared toward more of a medical-minded class, I say, you know what? take the hospital class, but then I would reach out to somebody to fill in the pieces of what you didn't get in that class. Because all they're going to tell you are the things that they are, that they do and the things that will happen there. They're not gonna tell you um, if you are trying to go for, or your plan is, or your wishes are for a spontaneous labor and you really don't want anything medical to happen to you unless it's needed, you need to get that perspective from another childbirth educator, an outside childbirth educator. Sure, it's just filling in those pieces that exactly what you said, right? They have this list of what they can say and what they can't say. And there are people who can 
say what your hospital can't say. And as a birthing person, you have the right to, to know that stuff. So, okay, let's talk about, and we'll kind of wrap up here because I think this is a great place for, for people to end on because these are actionable steps. Let's talk about coercion in the birth room. Let's talk about language like, well, you're not allowed to do this, or well, I'm not going to do this if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Ugh, those make me, those literally make me want to hulk out, like rip my shirt off, turn into the big green hulk and like go, uh, I don't know, Donkey Kong on the top of these <laughs> hospitals and like just really, really just hulk out. Yeah. How do you, in the moment when you are, pregnant and you know feeling the hormones and you're emotional and you're excited but you're also scared and at the end of the day your only concern really is keeping your baby safe because at the end of the day I think we can all agree any birthing person will always put their baby above their own needs you're always going to be selfless in that regard how do we as birthing people avoid becoming victim of coercive language how do we identify it how do we call it out for what it is and then also how do we ensure that we are getting evidence-based care mm-hmm. well uh, you know practice 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 number one but you know so foundationally let's talk about you know when, when somebody comes to me and says what am I allowed to do what am I not allowed to do so you skipped kind of to the birthing scenario but let's talk foundationally about what that means so if somebody says you know you're not allowed to do something they're probably talking about hospital policy or their comfort level or their skill level so when a, when a when a nurse says you're not allowed that's policy you know, and, and they are bound by their license to get a patient to comply because of policy. Remember, everybody has a boss, they have to feed their families. Um, so actually that nurse is trying to get you to do something because her job is on the line to follow through with policy. But as a birthing person, you are allowed to do anything that you need to do in your birth for you to know that you are safe and your baby is safe. So you being allowed is irrelevant. Like you can do anything you want. Like you're not allowed to hang from a chandelier to have your baby. Oh, yes, yes, you can. If that's what you want, then, you know, so if a care provider says you're not allowed to do something, he's, they're probably he, she, they, whatever, um, is probably referring to policy also. Like you're not allowed to not have an IV. Everybody has to have an IV in birth. Um, well, no, you're allowed to make any kind of decision that is safe and secure for you in an evidence-based way, um, you know, but then there's their skill level and comfort level. I'm, I, I don't really allow my patients to go over 40 weeks. Well, that's a skill level and a comfort level for whatever in their practice they have, uh, you know, experiences, PTSD, whatever's coming up for them to say that you're not allowed to do something. So how do we get to the open conversation uh, and around that kind of language? Well, in prenatal appointments, you know, you bring up, these are the most important things to me. Um, you know, yeah, you can write them down kind of like a birth plan, but these are the things that I've already decided with my doula or, you know, with my childbirth education. I, you know, I I feel most comfortable for me not to have an IV in, in birth. 
um, so I'm not going to have an IV. Well, you know, that's that's not really how we do this here. Everybody has to have an IV. Um, you know, I, what, however that conversation is going to go, or you're not allowed to do that. Um, you know, bringing out or recognizing that language, what you're doing is you're stopping that person and you're trying to get the reason why they're saying that, you know, well, what do you mean that I'm, I'm not allowed to, to have an IV? I'm not going to choose to have an IV. So how are we going to work together for me not to have an IV? Um, and then the person stops, you know, nurses stop, your provider stop, and you're like, because they don't, they don't know the rights. So if you go back to the, the rights and understanding your rights as a birther, um, everybody has the right to, to make their own choices during labor and birth. And a lot of birthers don't know that. Taking Kristen Pescucci's birth monopoly course, the three things every birthing person needs to know for a hospital birth is a fantastic course. I would do that um, to, know the, to know your rights. To, to know, because there's a lot of people who don't know. I didn't know I could speak up and say no. That thought process is scary to me. When you don't realize that you can stand up and say no in protection of your own autonomy and body and baby in a position that's even medical, no, no, no. Uh-uh, that's scary. That's a scary place to be. I just got full body chills for me too. I, so I, I'm in her course currently. I've not completed it, but I've taken, I'm in the process of it. And okay. So I, I said, I would, we would wrap up. Wrap up. We could do this for days. <laughs> We're not. Um, okay. So on the other end of informed consent, meaning that your doctor has shared with you the pros and the cons and the alternatives, and then put it back into your hands to say, are you okay with this? Let's talk about informed refusal because one of my very key phrases is a provider cannot have, cannot practice informed consent without a healthy recognition for informed refusal goes back to not being able to kind of say no or not realizing you can say no. If you have all the information and you know your alternatives and you still say no, your doctor and your nurse are obligated to respect that. Right. Well, and let's talk about staff member, you know, nurses, doctors, prenatal conversations or the birthing time. You know, let's talk about are they are, are, are they even doing this process? You know, are the majority of doctors and nurses really saying, here's the benefit of why we're going to do this? No, they really go to the coercive language of, well, we just want a healthy mom and healthy baby. And that's, that's coercive and manipulative because of course we all want, like as a, as a consumer, as a birthing person, of course I want me to be, are you saying if I don't do this, then I'm not healthy and my baby's not, like I'm, I'm making a bad decision. So that's where the, that's why it's coercive. Do they know it's coercive? I think the majority don't realize that it's coercive. Um, some of them, or, or they wouldn't, or they would be offended by that word. No, I'm, I'm just trying to make a point that if we don't do this, then things might, might turn out bad. Well, let's have a conversation and talk that way. Let's talk that way. So, you know, in, a, in, in this, in these scenarios, it's, 
it's no, I am confident in my worth. I am confident in my belief system. I am believing in myself to trust myself to stay with this decision. And no, I believe that I'm making a good decision for me. And I don't, and it's not that you are um, discounting what your doctor or your nurse has said, you're trying to get more information. So, you know, when, when we're trying to get more information, well, how is this going to, uh, you know, how is this going to affect my labor? How is this going to affect my birth? Give me factual information. Do you have factual information that you can give me that not having an IV is going to be really bad for my labor? Let's use common language instead of using what's the benefits, what's the risks, what's the, because here's what we're doing. And I don't have a very good relationship with brain <laughs> because here's what we're doing is we are sometimes having these really difficult conversations that could be, uh, have some tension in them are we trusting that we're getting the right information from our care provider? So if we're asking for the benefits and the risks, are we sure, are we sure that we're getting the right information? Are we sure we're getting factual information or truthful information? Because when we talk about evidence, we have to remember there's a 15 to 20 year evidence practice gap. So when the evidence comes out, there's probably a 15 to 20 year before they really start practicing it. So when we talk about evidence and going in and saying, I want to eat and drink and labor providers like you're not allowed to do that. Well, they're probably saying you're not allowed to do that because they're defaulting to the policy of the, you know, uh, practice of the 1940s. They're not practicing the here and now where where we are and even sometimes with the current ev evidence. So you're opening the conversation of why are you not allowing me? You know, what is your comfort level on this doc? I hear you saying I'm not allowed. Can you expand on that? Tell me what is going to change in my labor, you know, if I eat. And you'll hear the words. You'll hear I and we. Well, we don't really like for you to eat, you know, um, be because you've already said, I can do what I want, you know, when you said, well, I, I'm comfortable making these choices for myself. Um, and so they have, you're, you're opening why they're afraid for you to do something or why they're not allowing you to do something or why they're using that coercive language. And you'll hear I and we, and they're defaulting on what they think. And, you know, so you have to remember, and, and I wrote this in the book too, you have to remember that our care providers are our medical advisors. They are, they are telling you their, their expert advice and their, and their experience. And that should not mean anything that's emotional. So when they're saying that you can't, you're not allowed to do something if that kind of triggers you in a certain way, or you know different, then just have a conversation. What does that mean to you, Doc? So you're uncomfortable with me eating and drinking and labor. Can you tell me why? Getting more information out from them so that you can make an informed decision. And if it's just that they don't like it because they believe something that you don't believe, then you're getting that from them instead of just you're not allowed to do that.
I love how you say you're not discrediting what they say or discounting Mm -hmm. what they say. I say that same thing. You're simply tailoring a blanket statement to fit perfectly for you. You are taking a, a blanket policy that is literally meant to serve thousands, if not millions of people, and you are tailoring it to you. How like, you know, bizarre to think that someone might want individualized care. Just so crazy that someone might want to take a blanket statement and say, hmm, let's tailor this to me since this is my birth and my baby and my labor experience. Right, right. And, you know, birthers don't know what they don't know, you know. And so, you know, you know, that's why out of hospital education is so important you know, that's why, you know, even in birth culture, we have to get out of the mindset that doulas are only for natural birth, or, you know, a certain childbirth education is only going to tell you a certain thing. You know, that's why, you know, we're all called to do different things for different people. Um, it, it is, you know, it, you know, the point being that the system is only going to to do and to say the things that really ultimately is going to benefit them. I mean, that's the point of the system, right? We have right. to remember that hospitals are businesses. They're businesses. Totally. They are out there to make a profit. Um, right. and, and it is your job as a consumer to make sure that you're educated and prepared in order to navigate this system that sounds like and looks like on the outside a service to people but it's not it is a business it is a business for profit so um and if you don't like as a birther when you when you ask me that question so like you know falling into the system is what I say you know if you are 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 comfortable with that and you just want to do whatever they're going to tell you to do um and you're fine with that and not really have you know uh now, and there, there, and there's levels to that, you know, that you're going to have some care providers that are really good with conversations and, and, in you know, what we in the professional world called, you know, informed consent, but then you just have some, you know, especially here that is just routine mm-hmm. and they just have been doing it for so long that they just want to take care of you and, and they don't, you know, but if you are confident in who you are in your power in your belief system and want to have conversation, open that conversation, then they're going to, they're going to change gears and they're going to be like, wow, this person really, you know, is proactive in what's going on in their care. And your conversations are going to be too different. I mean, way different, you know, way different. And even when I have somebody come to me and, and, you know, and I discuss all this with them, I say, at your very next appointment, do it this way and say it this way and conversations open and they change and they're like, wow, I really feel like I was heard today. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to know everything about birth to open these conversations. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite questions to have a client ask a provider when they're, when they're quoting policy is, okay, do you know when the last time that policy has been revisited? Or do you know the last time that that policy was written? Do you have any sort of read on that? Typically providers do not. Um, And then you're really exceptional providers. Typically you get their wheels rolling and they go back and they get to see, golly gee, it's been 37 years since we've rewritten these policies for our hospitals. Like 
goodness gracious, you know, it has just been an exorbitant amount of, of time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tracy, this has been <laughs> such a good conversation. Okay. Listeners, a we lot. threw out a bunch of information for you throughout a bunch of courses for you. And I'll link those courses in the show notes for you. But one course that really, and I mentioned it already, it, it, it really pushed me to think beyond my own existence. So Tracy, tell us about your keeping your power course, because I think it is incredibly powerful for parents to have this so that they do know how to navigate these broken pieces of maternity care. Where can people work with you? Where can people find your course? Tell us a little bit about the course, all the jazz. Okay, wow, all of it. So if you are a a birthing family, um, I have a course for you that just walks you through the Keeping Your Power process. um, And it opens up, it helps you learn the tools and skills to open up conversations with your care provider. Um, It helps with prenatal conversations and it helps in the birthing time. Um, You know, so we go through all of that and it walked in. And then I have actual videos of families talking about how they have used keeping your power. Also, there's PDFs, there's worksheets, there's things that'll open your mind about just uh, keeping your power in, in birth planning. And remember, this is not a childbirth education course. This is all about just learning, you know, how to navigate um, the system and communication with your with your team. As a professional, if you are a doula and a childbirth educator, um, I have a course for you that you learn the concept so that you can step your clients through as you um, develop your relationship with them with the concept. So it's it's a, it's the same concept with a little flair of the professional using it with their clients. Also, if you are a doula or childbirth educator and, and, and wants to to use the concept, but not necessarily take the course themselves, you can actually buy buy code so that your clients or your students are are taking the course um, and still getting the benefit of the course. Um, So there's that also. Um, Let's see what else that my my train of thought just- just Where can people find these? Sorry. (laughs) Where can people find- Um, you can you can just Google keeping your power. Honestly, um, you can go to Teachable and and do Teachable keeping your power. You can go to my website maternalinstinctsdoula.net and go to uh, there's classes for doulas or classes for birthing families. You can find it um, all on my website in any way. Uh, I think it's a couple of other places which are kind of obscure, so don't worry about it. But but definitely my website is probably the the you know the easiest place to to find those. Um, if you're a doula uh, that wants more advocacy information as far as physical advocacy, um, now we're talking about self advocacy and keeping your power. That's the default. That's what we want. We want birthing people to find their power in the in the professional world that's what and, and even in the birth world that's what we, call, we talk about empowerment a lot he, he right like what does that even mean but that's what keeping your power is that's the empowerment we can't give that to you we just help you find that when when you find that we nurture that and we help guide you through you know that process and then that concept really helps with that but with the um, with advocacy, physical advocacy, there's always going to be families that feel like they need extra. 
And there always are going to be birthers that feel like, no, I know how I am in birth. I've already had two or three kids. I don't really feel safe because I know that I'm not going to be able to do uh, or speak, or there's certain places that I'm going to need you to help me. You develop an advocacy plan. You, you develop a relationship and what that expectation is for that extra piece of advocacy. Uh, communication skills. When do we advocate physically? When do we communicate? When is it appropriate? All of that is in the advanced doula workshop. So doulas can, can take that. I have opened it up to birth photographers on occasion if they are a doula and they do birth photography because birth photographers also can advocate when, when needed to. And then it, we go through the levels of advocacy because when the rubber meets the road, what are you willing to do? Well, you have to, right? If you're going to have your birth, if you're going to have your dream birth, it really does come down to you being able to speak up and look as doulas, we cannot be your voice for you, but we can help amplify your voice to a level, to a loudness where no matter who is in your birth room, they're going to hear you. They're going to hear you. And I truly do believe um, that that's my job. I believe that it's my job to help you navigate, to find your voice, but you're the only one that can actually find that voice. But once you found it, I will help amplify that right. voice so loud that nobody will be able to deny what you are right. trying to say and advocate for yourself. Yeah, I got you back. I got your back. You are totally right. Oh my gosh, Tracy, I am still like geeking out over all of this. This has been one of the best podcast episodes I've ever recorded. And I know listeners, I know you can't get enough of Tracy. Me neither. She will, she'll be back. Don't worry. Um, This will be an ongoing relationship that we have because like I say, she and I are cut from the same cloth. I know that so much of what you guys heard out of Tracy's mouth today, you were like, wait, is that Tracy or is that (laughs) who's talking now? Um, So do not, do not be worried. Tracy will be back. Um, She's going to, she's going to start to be really involved in this community because I, I know that you really need to hear this information and it's, nice for me to have somebody else come in and reiterate what I'm telling you guys because I know I can sound like a broken record for y'all um so I I want you to know that you have the power you have you know the resources to be your own advocate you have the people go out and seek those people out right take the birth lounge childbirth edge education course take the keeping your power course take the birth monopoly course you have got these resources at your fingertips you've just got to be able to to do it you have to do the work um and i I know that's not a super popular phrase but you really do have to do the work if you are going to have the birth that that you really want to have well and you know let me throw this out here and then we'll say bye because we could be here for days right (laughs) good (laughs) you know but but if you're somebody listening and and you're like I have a friend or I have a sister they just really can't afford you know private you know classes you know or whatever gift that to them you know gift Mm -hmm. the you know have a have a childbirth education you know shower have a doula shower you know y'all get off these target uh, you know uh baby registries (laughs) you know and and really think about what that 
family really, really need. Um, and if that, if you have somebody that's just like, yeah, I'd love a doula, or I'd love to take this course, if I, I'd love to take this course, you know, we try as birth professionals to price our stuff to where it's pretty accessible. And we do, you know, payment plans, and we do a whole lot of stuff like that. But I, you know, I want to encourage those that can to gift their friends this stuff, um, because it's, it is very valuable. And I would hate for somebody not to be able to do it just because, you know, they couldn't afford it. Yep. And it is, it's a gift that's going to change their life, right? This is not a swaddle that's going to get stained and be thrown out in six months. This is not uh, a newborn outfit that that baby's not even going to fit in in 60 days. This is going to be a gift that you literally change your friend's sister, cousin's neighbor's life because from every baby from here on out, these people are going to know how to advocate for themselves and not just yes. in maternity care, right? In right. other places oh, no. in our medical fields. I have message after message of people that say I have used keeping your power in mm-hmm. all kind of aspects of my life. So once you learn it, it, it will, it will change your, it will change how you think about the approach to could be controversial conversations, but it it can be powerful. And it can be powerful for doulas also in the birth room to be able to use this to change minds, even to change lives. Um, I've had, you know, several doctors, they're like, you know, wow, I I didn't realize, or um, yeah, you know, you're, you're right uh, in that. And I need to stop and, and look at my patient as a human instead of my routine practice. So this is really changing um, how, you know, how birth is going, which is really exciting. And absolutely. I appreciate, I appreciate you inviting me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Aren't those, um, when you get that feedback from medical professionals, it hits a little differently, doesn't it? It yeah. hits you in the heart where you're like, wow, this is my why. It's my why that I didn't even know I had to go in there and, and, and change the lives of these nurses or to have an OB come to me afterwards or to call me two weeks later and say, he, he, I have not stopped thinking about that birth that I was with you at two weeks ago. I I would like to talk to you more. I just had a conversation with an OB last week who I had a birth with. And and they said, I I really would love to learn about what we did to change that baby's position. And it it just, it's an unspoken why. It's a why I didn't even know I had. I had no idea that I was going to be able to go in and change, you know, OBs and midwives and nurses perspectives. But And, and let's just, and let's just say that, you know, we, if, if we don't put our biases about the system aside, those conversations are never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I even, even a, even a birther, like you can go in with the confidence of knowing what you believe and change your provider's mind about how they're treating you and going to treat other people. And that is, that is the beauty for me is that, you know, we can't let our providers get so lost in the idea that it's a one size fits all. And so just like what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, you as an individual patient really do have that power to change every single person that your provider sees from here on out with one simple conversation. Yep. You really do. All right, listeners. Oh my goodness. This has been such a great conversation. Tracy, thank you for being here with us today. 
listeners, happy Tuesday. I will see you again on Friday for another Friday free talk. Thank you so much for hanging out with Tracy and I today. We will link all of the things that we talked about in the show notes so that they're easy access to you. If you are interested in connecting with Tracy on um, Instagram, Tracy, where can they find you? I am Dula Tracy. No, that's not true. I am Tracy Dula <laughs> on Instagram. See, now, my, now I'm brain dead. <laughs> now I'm brain dead. Tracy Dula on Instagram. And actually, if you go to uh, Facebook and just type the at Tracy uh, Dula, then you know, you'll find my business page too um, on Facebook. And yeah, let me know that you're there. You know, friend, follow, please interact. I interact with people. I'm a very big people person. So, um, you know, say hi and let me know what you need from me. And yeah, I'll, I'll get loud. I'll get loud. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, you guys, you now you see, you just see how much I love Tracy and why I love Tracy in that we truly are, you know, we just, we, we share pieces of our soul. So um, if you're interested in keeping your power course, you guys, it is a wonderful compliment to the birth lounge. If you're in the birth lounge already and you're like, oh, but I'm already in the birth lounge, the keeping your power course is a great compliment to that. You cannot go wrong having both of those truly, truly, truly. All right, friends, thanks for hanging out with us today. And please remember, you have so much control when it comes to your birth experience. You can do that through the Birth Lounge or any of Tracy's courses. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.